Dame Lillard is a Milwaukee Buck, the Chicago Bears are lost in the woods, and with the Ryder Cup about to start, we have Jeff Price of PGA of America on later in the show. It's Thursday, September 28th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The Chicago Bears are trying to find a new home and are also just kind of generally looking for a direction as a team. Joining me now to discuss is front office sports writer Doug Greenberg. Welcome, Doug. Hello, and coming to you from Chicago. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, let me just get kind of the general sentiment on on this 0-3 team that the city is sort of obsessed with, you know, for better or worse, probably worse. Uh, yeah. How's the mood in Chicago? Well, looking outside, it's uh, it's really cloudy out. It's really murky, and uh, yeah, I mean that kind of sets the mood, right? For the for the Chicago Bears organization, uh, they are just bottom of the barrel in so many ways in the NFL right now. Um, you know, I guess it starts with the stadium uh, with with Soldier Field. Um, it's I, I have never been to a Bears game at Soldier Field. I've been to a couple of events, including a concert last year at Soldier Field. I can definitively say it is one of the worst places to get in and out of, of any public space I've ever seen. It's it's horrible. I understand why everybody is like, we need a new stadium. We need, you know, so, need it somewhere else. And, you know, nothing I can talk about. I've heard rumblings about somewhere it could be in the city of Chicago. Um, nothing, I've obviously, I've been able to report on, but I've heard rumblings about it. Um and then there's the whole Arlington Heights thing, which the Bears already bought uh, land in Arlington Heights. You know, it's it will be a facility that they can have complete control over. It, they won't be owned by it won't be owned by the city. It'll be owned by the team, um, which is what they've wanted for so long, uh, so that they can have complete control over it. And obviously a stadium that's more easily accessible. So when they bought the the land and I think people got used to the idea, it was like, great, this is a home run. You know, Arlington Heights is a very easy train ride um, out to the suburbs. Uh, very easy in terms of, well, easy. The traffic in the city is awful, but you know, easy to drive to relatively. Um, and then we started getting into the, the massive Chicago-ness of it, which was ticky tacky stuff over tax issues. Um, and now, you know, this week we're, we're getting news that the Arlington uh, board is, you know, the, the town council or the, you know, the village board. They um, have basically approved a, uh, a, a strategic plan to bring the Bears in. And the city of Chicago is still fighting to keep the Bears here. And, and, and in the meantime, we have this super petty thing where the Bears aren't even using the C logo as their hel- on uh, as their main logo anymore. They're using the the weird bear, which I have always thought is a very weird looking logo. Um, not on their helmets, mind you, because they can't go that far. But as their primary logo, which you see on TV, it, it's that weird looking bear. Um, so, and and if that wasn't enough, then there was also. Uh, you know, over a hundred thousand dollars of uh, of farming equipment that was stolen from Soldier Field a, a week or two ago. It, it's like nothing is going right, and it's all very Chicago. Um, and I'm I'm happy that I'm not actually a Bears fan. I just live here because um, now I get to I get to soak it all up. Um, I went to school in Wisconsin. All of my Wisconsin friends are loving this. Um, it's it's such a mess of epic proportions, and 
I have talked about all of this, and I have not talked about the fact that the team is 0-3, and they look terrible while doing it, and and their quarterback of the future doesn't look like a quarterback of the future. So there, you know, nothing really great happening in the football world in Chicago at the moment. Yeah, there is. Um, I forget who said it, but I think it was one of these teams that's like wanting to relocate or use it or not relocate, but get a lot of public money. Um, and is probably threatening to relocate because that's what teams do. I uh, was saying, you know, it, it helps when you're asking for public money if your team is good. And um, and with the Bears, like not only are they bad now, but it's hard to remember the last time they were good. I think it was when I lived in Chicago, which was a very long time ago. They actually made it to the Super Bowl and I think lost to the Colts. They lost to someone. I think it was the Colts. And and so, yeah, it's like they're trying to be a desired entity, which, you know, in some level they have to be because they are an NFL team in the third biggest city in the U.S. Like you can't not be incredibly valuable if that's true about you. But they're they're making themselves less desirable with everything that they actually do, both on the field and off the field. And so they're having trouble getting attention from um or, you know, being being a team where Arlington just opens the doors and says, yes, yes, please, we'll do anything we want. And Arlington's saying, like, you know, we'll probably make this work, but you, you can't just, like, waltz in and, um, you know, dictate the terms here. You know, this is going to completely alter the city. So you, you got to work with us. And that's that's led to some complications. I mean, that's that's kind of nailing that's hitting it right on the head. You know, um, this 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 franchise has been. Far from a man, uh, uh, a model franchise for a very long time, um, and you know when I talk to friends who are Bears fans here, they always say the same thing. It, you know, it starts at the top. Um, the McCaskey family has been in charge for for basically forever. Um, if you want to track it all the way back to the Hallis family, you know they've essentially been in charge forever. Uh, Virginia McCaskey just turned a hundred years old. Um, she is technically the primary owner of the Bears. Uh, she doesn't really run the team, but, uh, you know, I have heard it described as, I, I don't remember who told this to me, but somebody, one of my Chicago friends basically said to me, the, the Chicago bears are not a football team. They are a trust. Um, they are a financial trust. Essentially they are a financial asset. And, um, you know, that is, that is the way that people in Chicago look at the McCaskey family's ownership of it. They're not looking to build a winning team. They're just trying to keep holding on to this thing that makes them a lot of money is a valuable asset, that kind of thing. But building a good football team has not necessarily been in their best interest, I guess. Um, I I'm surprised that the calls have never been louder, uh, to sell the team. Um, especially with everything going on and especially with how bad the team's been to start the year. Um, but yeah, um, you know, I think it starts at the top and and certainly doesn't get any better as it comes down. Yeah. And that's kind of how all these things work out, right? Like if a team's bad for a year or two, okay, maybe that's just the players. If it's bad for, you know, five, six, seven years, that's probably something with the, you know, general management and, you know, the player movement and all that. If a team's bad, just like for as long as you can remember, it almost always has to go to the ownership because a competent, involved, but not too involved ownership that wants to win games and not just, you know, play the asset evaluation, uh, asset appreciation game. Um, that that's how you get a generation of incompetence and, you know, a facility that people don't want to be at, um, and a team that, that can't win. And just, and, and you know, they've, they've had some bad luck. They've made some bad choices, you know, it's not, but, but it does start at the top and, 
you know, it's it's hard to kind of know how how this ends if um, it, it, in, until the the McCaskies sell or you know somehow move on from the team. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, you know, you look at the best owners in in the sport, you know, and obviously I'm a little bit biased because I'm from Boston, I'm from New England, but you look at the Kraft family, you know, the Kraft family, they certainly they played the asset appreciation game. The Patriots were bottom, bottom, bottom of the league in terms of valuation when they bought, but they knew that the best way to appreciate the team was to win. And, and Robert Kraft you know, placed a huge emphasis on winning with that team. And now the Patriots are the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, we see that out here in the Bay area with the Warriors, like why are the Warriors like the first or second most valuable team in the NBA It's because they're a dynasty. It's like this, this isn't happening just like on any random, I and mean, you know, we've got like a medium, large, you know, Metro area here. No reason this has to be a hugely valuable team, but they are because people love them because they keep winning. And, you know, we'll see if that keeps going. And Doug, before we let you go, we're going to switch gears here. Uh, But uh, speaking of Milwaukee, we got some uh, crazy news uh, just hot off the presses here that Damian Lillard has been traded to the Bucks. We spoke to him uh, this past summer and we're going to play a quick clip and then we'll talk. As someone who, you know, could be nearing a crossroads at your career, do you feel in control? Um, I always feel in control of myself. You know, I think that's the, the best way to, to answer the question. I'm always in control of myself. I don't do power trips. You know, I don't try to flex muscles or, or strong arm anything. I just, I'm always in control of myself. And to me, that's all that, that matters, you know. All right. That was when he's on the Blazers. He's now on the Bucks. Your thoughts? Damian Lillard moving on from the Trailblazers. Um, Seem to be inevitable. Um, I, I think that, it, you know, I think he knows he's he is a championship caliber player. Um, he needed a championship caliber team, like we were w- like we were just talking about with sports franchises. You know, the Blazers are not a franchise that has really lived up to uh, any kind of expectations over the last couple decades. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks obviously have, um, having won the NBA title a couple years ago. Um, and what's really interesting too is somebody asked Dame last year. I just found this on Twitter. Somebody asked him last year if there was one player that could help him get into the playoffs or even the finals, who would he pick? And he said Giannis. So there you go. Um, it, you know, it's it's it makes a lot of sense. You know, Dame. He he's like like he was saying on the pod. You know, he wants to to be in control, and I'm sure he's he's going to be thrilled now. Um, you know, I can also just say that uh, I, I, as, I, as I, somebody who went to school in Wisconsin, I have a lot of Wisconsin friends. My Wisconsin group chat is blowing up. They say it's like the biggest trade in Wisconsin sports team history. Uh, <laughs> they're, you know, they've just they're they're all ecstatic about this, obviously, as they should be. Um, I believe sports betting wise, the Bucks just became one of the favorites to win the NBA title. Um, yeah, just, just a wild trade, uh, you know, the NBA doing it's this league thing right before the season starts. There you go. Like biggest trade of the summer in the fall. Right. Yeah. And Giannis for his part has been saying like, look, I like it here, but I want to win and winning's my priority. And well, the Bucks just showed him like, all right, we're all in, you know, who knows what's going to happen on the court, but the, the front office is doing their part. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, the, I think it's, I think it's, it works out for both sides. Now I haven't seen the return. I haven't even looked at the return yet because I literally, I was learning about this while we were recording, while we were recording it. And for whatever, I, I mean, assuming the Bucks can parlay this into a championship, which is not at all out of the question. 
um, whatever the return will be worth it. Um, you know, to and especially if that if that means keeping Giannis around, who in himself is a huge draw and a huge marketing play, um, that'll be so worth it in the long term for the Milwaukee Bucks. And I, I can just say also very cool for the for Milwaukee as some as I said, someone who spent a lot of time in Wisconsin. Um, it's a great sports sit, uh, state, great sports town. Um, and you know, this is the kind of move that they've been waiting for. So happy for them. Um, it's, it's really cool to see a small market like Milwaukee, get that kind of sh- uh, star shine. Absolutely. Doug Greenberg. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Up next, the Ryder Cup is starting late tonight, U.S. time, and in the middle of the day in Rome, where it's taking place. It is not run by the PGA Tour, it is run by PGA of America, whose primary mission is to grow the game of golf from the bottom up, and the Ryder Cup is one of its major opportunities to have a moment where the golf world is watching. I spoke to PGA of America Chief Commercial Officer Jeff Price on how they are taking advantage of this moment, and that conversation is coming up next. All right, very excited to be joined from Rome by Jeff Price, PGA Chief Commercial Officer. Welcome, Jeff. Great to be with you, and thanks uh, for having me on. So uh, the Ryder Cup is one of the very biggest events on the calendar for PGA of America, and it's unique in how it organizes player by players by country. Um, what does this tournament mean to PGA of America, and how do you leverage it to grow the game? Yeah, great question. We, we have 29,000 PGA of America golf professionals that help you at every step along the way in the sport. And for us uh, to be able to bring the Ryder Cup to fans, to kind of get that inspiration, we're always thinking about the future of the game, inspiring people to want to play this game for a lifetime. And so for us to tell our story, tell the story of those PGA of America professionals who are you know, the heartbeat of the game, the backbone of the game, um, to be able to showcase that, this new campaign that we're rolling out, uh, we love this game uh, with, in partnership with Omaha Productions. We've got a chance to tell that story across Golf Channel and and, and certainly NBC Sports and USA Network. Um, and we're going to really leverage social media. There's so much interest in the Ryder Cup that social media is a great opportunity for us to tell that story of what PGA of America professionals do for the game of golf every single day. Yeah, and actually I was going to ask about that. Uh, your work with Omaha. So what are you aiming to do with this this new push that you're, with, that you're doing with them? So we, we did quite a bit of consumer research and we understood there's a lot of confusion in the world of golf, not necessarily understanding the difference between the PGA Tour, obviously the week in and week out professional golfers who play for money. We've got 29,000, as I mentioned, who work every day in this business, golf professionals who are PGA of America members who really are the backbone of the game. So for us to be able to partner with Omaha, such a fresh and creative approach, you know, to come up with it, we love this game concept. And we've got a great first spot uh, featuring four of our PGA of America golf professionals uh, telling a great story, kind of how individuals love to just practice their swing. And all of that begins with a PGA of America golf professional having that, but then leveraging social media. So our thousands of PGA of America professionals can tell their story, why they love the game, how they've inspired others to love the game. And so for us, having something that can go from a campaign into a movement and allow our 29,000 to tell their stories is a powerful opportunity. And launching it during the Ryder Cup couldn't be a better time for the PGA of America. Yeah, and Omaha Productions is probably best known for the Manning cast, uh, but it's, it's kind of got its its um, its tendrils all over the place at this point. I think of them as one of these new sports media companies that helps you get closer to the athletes. Um, what, what are they bringing to this partnership? 
So first, they have wonderful creative concepts. When we reached out, um, our CEO, Seth Law, reached out to Peyton and Eli and, and said, hey, we've got this new campaign. We'd love you to take a look at it. I think Peyton responded in five minutes and said, we'd love it. They are obviously huge golfers, lovers of the game. Oh, you can hear the, the Roman police in the background. But, you know, they are lovers of the game. Their team absolutely jumped on this. And so to get a spot done in a short amount of time to be ready for the Ryder Cup and then really to build the social media presence that we're going to have, as you mentioned, with their network of influencers and others who can tell the story of what PGA of America golf professionals have done for superstar athletes or celebrities is just going to help to lift the story and the campaign. And it's, it's a creativity. It's the kind of ingenuity that they brought to the social media side and the storytelling that is going to go on. This is not a one done, one and done campaign. This is something we want to stick with, make sure we're reinforcing that. And Omaha has been a tremendous partner in, in bringing it to life. And yeah, you've mentioned social media a couple of times, and I don't mean to stereotype the kind of your, your typical golfer because golfers are, are many different people. Uh, but, you you know, you think of them as, um, you know, maybe an older, more male crowd and social media is sort of a complement to that. Not, again, stereotyping the social media world. Now, I'm wondering if you're sort of leaning more into social media and its various forms as a way to um, kind of attract new people toward the game. Well, I think the great story is coming out of COVID, 41 million people played golf last year. And for the first time, more than 50% of them were under the age of 35. So the kind of old stereotypes of golf being for older guys who look like me, uh, the reality is it's changed dramatically. We want to keep that momentum of people being able to recreate. And that was part of what getting golf reopened quickly bringing people out to golf courses that had never played before, having fun. We want to make sure those invitations are as widespread as possible. Those 41 million, let's create 50 million golfers and make them want to do it for a lifetime. It's a sport that you can do. I love playing with my kids. Uh, you, you can do it social. You can be competitive. There's so many different aspects of the game. But the key that we realize is we have to have invitations. And the idea that social media can be the best invitation for someone to come play the game has really paid off for us. Yeah. And, you know, um, also with social media is a, a spot where you can kind of tap into the the people who have huge reach, like, you know, the, you know, the, the top golfers in the world who will be at the Ryder Cup. Um, and also, this is a moment when you have sort of more access to them, like they're in your world, as opposed to the world of the of the PGA Tour. Um, so yeah, how do you when you have these these, these key inflection points, um, when the top golfers in the world are in your world, um, is that, you know, I imagine that has to be kind of a, a crucial point of the year of your calendar to, um, to, yeah, to, to grow the game and to make people aware of, of your work. Yeah. It, it's a great opportunity for us. We were thrilled last year to participate in full swing, the Netflix, uh, with the PJ championship. Obviously they're going to be a part of the Ryder cup here in Rome. Um, so thinking about the story that was told last year that will come back again this year is, you know, Justin Thomas, one of the great players in the world, third generation PGA of America professional. His dad is his coach, has been with him every step along the way of that journey. You've got players like Jordan Spieth and Cameron McCormick. So our best coaches are coaching these players, helping them to achieve success, hopefully bring home a Ryder Cup. But it's showcasing that our coaches can be there for anyone, anyone who's on a golf journey has the opportunity to do so with a PGA of America professional and telling those stories authentically 
around the Ryder Cup is a great way for us to activate you know, those 29,000 and get them engaged and get them reaching out to get more people to come out and play golf. And speaking of Netflix, I, and I know these kind of negotiations are a constant part of these documentaries like Full Swing, our docuseries, uh, but the U.S. team uh, denied access to Netflix uh, for the Ryder Cup, you know, in terms of getting into the locker room. Is, is there any kind of tension in terms of trying to get these players to open up and be public figures when maybe they don't want to be all the time? You know, I think it's, uh, it's going to be amazing storytelling. There's a number of players that are on the Ryder Cup team that have a relationship with Netflix. Certainly, you saw Jordan and Justin last year in the PGA Championship. They're, they're continuing those relationships. It's really an individual player choice of, of kind of how they think about that. And, you know, we, we want this to be a great story to be told, but we also want to respect the players' rights and make sure that they're comfortable. This is their week in the sun. And, and as a team, if you think about it, they're individual teams each week. But together, these 12 come, and it really is about 12 coming together as a team. And so when Zach and the team made the decision that the team room was going to be off limits, we totally supported that and, and have worked with Netflix to make sure they're going to have great content to tell the story, but they're just not going to be in the team. Should the PGA Tour, DP World Tour, and Saudi Public Investment Fund, if that deal is completed, the new company, PGA Tour Enterprises, would control the European Tour Group's operations of the Ryder Cup? Ryder Cup Europe, you know, of course, you guys control when it's in the States. Um, is there any reason to be concerned about what that would mean for the future of Ryder Cup Europe? You know, I mean, I think the beauty of the partnership that we've built from the, you know, from 1927, it has been a spirited competition, but, you know, representing sportsmanship, all the qualities of that the Ryder Cup has been known for, um, that is still at the essence of what the Ryder Cup is. What we've been able to do over the last decade really is work very closely with our friends at Ryder Cup Europe to build this into a global property. And it has become, you know, we've got amazing worldwide partners, seven of them for this Ryder Cup, uh, a number of worldwide uh, sponsors as well from a, a worldwide supplier level. This whole framework is something that has been built over time. And we look forward to working with Ryder Cup Europe for years and years to come. This is, you know, we, we are both caretakers of something that's larger than any one of us individually. And this property you know, certainly here in Rome this week, you can see the energy, you can understand just how much fan interest there is in the Ryder Cup. And I think sustaining that is job number one for all of us. Details to be worked out, but I think the key is, what is the essence of the Ryder Cup? Are we, are we caretakers and doing the right thing by the Ryder Cup and making sure that it's here for generations to come? It started in 1927, we're about to have the 100th anniversary in 2027. Let's make sure it's here for another 100 years. Speaking of that deal and, and details to be worked out, how do you think life will change on your end, assuming that that deal goes through? And I understand that it's not a done deal right now. Yeah, I mean, we're very focused on the 29,000 men and women that we represent. Um, and so we, we are focused on their professional development programs that grow the game like PGA Junior League. Um, we're going to continue to support those. We're going to continue to focus on that. We're certainly fortunate to have major championships on each of the tours the PGA Championship, the KPMG Women's PGA Championship, the KitchenAid Senior PGA, we see those events obviously retaining their status as major championships. So what, whatever happens in the landscape of golf, I think we have a great path forward. And obviously the Ryder Cup every four years being in the United States is something that we take great pride in and want to make sure that when we bring it to New York in 2025, that it's the best Ryder Cup of all time. And certainly the New York market has already shown uh, the, the support and interest and intrigue in the Ryder Cup. And uh, we look forward to, 
to bring it to New York. Yeah. And, you know, it's um, that ties into sort of the last thing I wanted to touch on is, yeah, you just said you want it to be the, the in two years, the best one of all time, not just continue to operate the Ryder Cup, you know, continue to sort of, you know, keep keep everything above water. Um What's kind of the plan for you know the next next big steps for for your organization and for the game of golf generally? How are you going to keep things growing and improving? So let, let's take it on three levels. I'll, I'll start with the Ryder Cup in New York, which Beth Page, as you know, is a tremendous venue. There's a ton of space, so the things that we can do from an infrastructure perspective will give us a lot of creative flexibility. Kerry Haig and his team run the best championships, and we, we look forward. Uh, Kerry's got some great ideas for the first tee uh, at Beth Page, kind of surrounding the first and 18th. So you'll have a huge amphitheater to start the Ryder Cup. Um, and we just look for that Ryder Cup in New York to be something special. We want to be able to give back to the community. We want to make sure that you know we're activating in Manhattan as well as out on Long Island. We think there's music opportunities. I mean, it is the Super Bowl of golf, and we want to do it right in New York, which uh, for us means just thinking creatively. As it relates to the game, I don't think the game has ever been more popular. And what we need to make sure is that we're continuing to invite new players into the game, retain the ones that we have, and make sure those players understand if they go on that journey, as I said before, with a PGA of America golf professional, they're going to have a more enjoyable experience. They're going to have more fun um, and play the game for a lifetime. And so for us, it, it always comes back to supporting. You know, we, our mission is to serve our members and grow the game. We need to make sure we're doing that in very meaningful ways as we go forward so that we can take care of those 29,000 who make millions of lives better. All right. Jeff Price, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Great to be with you, Owen. Thanks so much. That is it for today. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have great stuff coming at you every single weekday. I'll be taking a few days off, but you'll be in the very capable hands of my colleagues. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.